And welcome to an exciting second extra special appreciator episode with my pal Mark Rose. We are both some of the few Zappa fans who are willing to just come out. And I don't think anybody has ever attempted what we are doing here. <laughs> there may be good reason for that. <laughs> so this could take several years. Yes, it could. <laughs> it's something to keep living for. I know. So I'm, I'm totally in. I am totally in for this. We are looking at every Zappa, the main ones. I mean, if we get to those uh, other ones. Great. Just so be it. Right. But uh, the goal at this point is to just get through the major arcana, yeah, so to speak. That's right. And uh, going all the way back to the Verve years. That's right. We're, uh, we're starting with the first one. Tom Wilson, of all people. Yeah. Who is an interesting character all in and of himself. Yeah. And Can you imagine his uh, thrill and delight when he hired that white blues band? <laughs> and then when he had the opportunity the shock and horror probably of listening to the brain police which was about as far from the uh track that he thought they were just you know going to be doing all this white blue stuff um oh man i yeah well we'll we'll get to all that but anyway yeah so tom wilson signed the soul giants that's right and then they wanted to be called the Mothers, just the Mothers. And in 1966, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> now, you know, I'm I'm also kind of remembering that Verve was a pretty progressive label. They had a lot of uh, had a lot of jazz yeah. on that label, and uh, and it was interesting that that uh, that they they went ahead and and did this. There was a trickling of rock and roll, certainly. But uh, mm. I think they were primarily known as a, a kind of a progressive jazz label. And they were sort of, it sounds like, once they found out what it was, they said, okay, well, we'll do a psychedelic thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, I guess in a way, but I don't think anybody in the Mothers of Invention had any intention of doing any hallucinogens. No, no, certainly not under Frank's tutelage. They certainly no, They were beer guys, and yeah. usually a beer after the set, not before or during. You know, I, I think it's interesting to note that the, in 65, when, when they were actually uh, in the, the throes of all of this, and I, I, I made some notes here because I know I was going to forget all this. The, the soul giants, the guys who uh, Tom Wilson first... Uh, signed they had a guitarist in there who left the band early on because it was frank's idea to mm -hmm. you know we ought to be doing our own original material and specifically my original material and i think the, that guy and a couple of others in the band were henry sort of, something yeah, maybe yes yeah, it was henry yes with a v it was yes Absolutely. And Elliot Ingber was an early mother. <laughs> Winged eel fingerling. <laughs> yeah, he, he went on to more esoteric things. He did, Captain Beefheart. But um, yeah, he was on this this first album. Um, I, I mean, it, it, I can't imagine what the unsuspecting public would have thought of this. I mean. I was I was a little too young to grok it certainly at that age, but 
um, when it came out, I was aware of the noise it was making because everybody had kind of called it avant-garde and, you know, mm. crazy and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, there certainly are elements of avant-garde. I found out my cousins turned me on to this music when I first came out six years old. Mm. And I asked uh, the cousin I'm still talking to, my cousin Keith, uh, where did, how did you find this album? Where did it come from? And the older cousin, my cousin Ricky, there was a record store in town, Sulco. It was one of those record stores where you actually could put the record on oh, and God. listen to it in the store. Yeah. And he was going through a pile of records and he found this and it was just like, whoa, wait a minute. And he brought it home because it was just so strange. Mm, brave. Oh, my cousin Rick, actually, he was very much into soul music at the time. <laughs> so naturally, so, this <laughs> fit right in, right? <laughs> but they, they had that they watched, you know, old, uh, you know, Saturday night old horror movies. They had a taste for the bizarre. Yeah. And I guess this album was the musical equivalent of a B horror movie. I mean, what was on the charts? When Freak Out came out, I mean, the Easy Beats, the Young Bloods. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, the whole psychedelic thing didn't even wouldn't start for a while. Uh, and these guys, of course, were were. <sighs> well, think about it. Uh, this, you know, this 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 album, Freak Out, has has a couple of rather remarkable firsts. I mean, you know, the, the the idea that it was the first double album ever released by a debut band, which was unheard yeah, of. Harry Belafonte, he got the double albums, but... <laughs> That's right. Not Frank and the Boys. Uh, that never, that just didn't happen. Uh, also, I think it said, uh, yes, it was. it's often cited, and I, I guess you'd have to spread this out a little bit, but it's often cited as one of rock music's first concept albums. It generally gets credit for it, and I've heard it inspired the Beatles to go ahead with Sgt. Pepper as a concept album, but I've never heard a Beatle actually no, I haven't either. confess to that. And what I'm curious about is because in the U.K., Mm -hmm. This double record set was released as a single album. Aha. So I'm wondering what that was. What was on there? Because I've never seen one. Yeah, me, I had no idea that it was any different. They, well, I would suspect basically it was the first disc and not the second disc. Right, exactly. That's where oh. things get, get yeah, they completely do. Uh, out of the norm. Um, even, you know, starting with the, with the first track here, Hungry, Hungry Freaks, Daddy. Uh, there's, there's some pretty heavy riffing going on in this that was just not... Well, that fuzz tone guitar is massive. Mr. America, walk on by. Schools that do not teach. You didn't hear that. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, where do you hear? And of course, the wonderful reference to uh, Lyndon Johnson's Great Society. Um, <laughs> go look that up if you don't know what that is. But uh, Kazoo and vibraphones. <laughs> yes. Yes. Kazoo and vibraphones. <laughs> where else are you going to hear this? Uh, but it's, I mean, it's a great track. It's a really great track. 
I had no idea of the politics of it as a kid. Yeah, me either. I, I thought it was like Mr. America, you know, like the bodybuilder guy. And I don't know, probably in my teens, getting back to it, I realized how absolutely subversive and you know, hungry freaks. <laughs> just the idea of freaks at that point was mm -hmm. like that hippies was just a newly coined right I and mean, the anti-war movement was just beginning so this was way new yeah way afraid. very ahead of its time and yeah what a great track to open the album with it just punch it it comes out fighting <laughs> and really you can honestly say it does not safely prepare you for anything that is about to follow because he really jumps around on this thing the the, the second track i ain't got no heart you know, there's a few tracks on this album which have become perennials and were performed in, in multiple bands throughout the years. This one is one of those. Um, yeah, but they never quite did it the same in that soul neo-Motown no, version. No, as a matter of fact, they, they kind of pumped up the, the power ballad sort of thing in Tinseltown Rebellion, which is the, right. the album that it, it appears later. But uh, yeah, it's a great track. It's a great track. You wouldn't expect that coming from a Zappa, you would think. You know, it's like, hmm. Oh, yeah. No, if you played somebody who only is familiar with, like, late 70s, 80s Zappa, they might not even immediately get it. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's it. this style is, is uh, well represented on this album. It's this next track, though. That Frank Zappa said himself, it's the scariest piece of music on this record. <laughs> and it definitely is pretty scary. Who are the brain police? Probably the first song that my cousins played me because they actually learned to play it on their guitars and they played that for me first and I really liked it. They said, oh, you should hear the record. Yeah, sure, sure. And I, re I was walking around asking people in what, <laughs> third grade, <laughs> second grade, who were the brain police? <laughs> Did that did that opening riff hit you the same way as as it obviously hit Tony Iommi uh, several years later, a uh, decade later, when Black Sabbath borrowed it for <laughs> Iron <Yep>. Man? <laughs> it definitely. I mean that that's a precursor, much like early Richie Blackmore solos on the Joe Meek records. Yes, that's like go. heavy metal before there was heavy metal. Yeah, I mean that was way outside. And poor Tom Wilson. <laughs> this was the track that he heard and had to make that phone call to the <laughs> to the folks at Verve saying, well, you know, they're not really 
a white blues band. <laughs> Only somewhat. Um, but geez, what an amazing piece of work. Uh, haunting. Well, uh, Trouble, well, we'll get to Trouble Coming right. Every Day, but that's the only song that's really in a blues idiom as far as the chord structure that I can think of on the whole album. And that's, of course, the thing that, you know, attracted them. Right. Go Cry on Somebody Else's Shoulder. A year ago today was when you went away. But now you come back knocking on my door And you'll say you're back to stay But I say Go cry On somebody else's shoulder Oh yeah doop, 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 doop. This was like Zappa loved his doo-wop Yeah, and this was like the first Well, it's the first uh, exposure on this album anyway But this is this is going to be repeated a lot This this uh, This form Not this song necessarily I don't think they they say that this song has um, only been documented one other time on uh, on a few bootlegs, but uh, other than that, and that Pachuco spoken word intro, <laughs> yes, exactly. And you know what hit me on this particularly was Ray Collins, uh, the vocalist, how he presages sort of Mark Volman and Howard Kamen, uh, uh, who are going to come obviously much later. But well, they were the they, they were the turtles. Though. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it's so interesting how those voices. Yeah, because Ray was he's right in there. He's right in Volman's range, and and it's like wow, this is really quite interesting when you listen to it. You know, with with uh, advanced perspective. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, I've always been sort of fifty fifty on the doo woppy stuff. I mean, I can appreciate it, and especially his treatment of it. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Ruben and the Jets oh, when yeah. we get to it. That that that's I love that album. And that album is probably responsible for Shanana. Yeah, definitely. I have been told. And the whole seventies revival came out of that. Of course. And it, it's and nobody would recognize nobody recognized it as Zappa, even though it said on the album mm-hmm. that it was Zappa. Because it's masterfully done. Yeah. Motherly Love, track five. Uh, <laughs> this one is. Mm. Uh, <laughs> this thing is. Uh, th- this would probably be one of the earliest examples of what Frank would do often in his bands, which is a little of that inside baseball talk, you know? Yep. Um, <laughs> what's really going on behind the scenes? And, uh, you know, and uh, maybe one of the first mainstream songs to mention groupies. Yes, exactly. Absolutely right. Uh, does she come up in here? Yes, Susie. <laughs> Susie. Susie Cream Cheese, who, of course, was fictional. But apparently there was this belief that this was a real person and that there were often times when, when they would do songs like this, uh, when they would perform them, and you know there were some spoken word parts in there, they would expect to see uh, <laughs> Susie do her part. But uh, Susie wasn't there, you know. Yeah. Unavailable. I was very disappointed when I found out it was a fictitious character because <laughs> she even had a voice. She Forget did. Forget it. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Voice of the Cheese. It. It. Uh, and we'll get there too. It. It comes up uh, later in Uncle Meat. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the conceptual continuity yeah, that just, runs through everything. Everything. I mean, when he called it, he called his work really the one big note. 
it's really true, and and the continuity and the rearrangement and how you could take uh, sections of music and repurpose them, mm-hmm. um, or reintroduce the same figure in a completely different song for a completely different reason. It's but all adding to this continuity that he's been he was building from the very 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 beginning there yeah he had a way he if he had his melodies he liked and his rhythms he liked and uh, used them liberally because they were his yes exactly side one closes with track six how could i be such a fool which again we were just mentioning reuben and the jets this would end up on there as well Again, another not quite doo-wop, but it's, it's a Motown doo-wop. Definitely R and B. I mean, he he definitely had and horns. Oh yeah, Funk Gardner and all these incredible players that uh, uh, came and went, <laughs> continue to do it. A side two opens with something I always had a question about, so I had to I had to research this a little deeper. Uh-huh. And it does turn out that uh, my suspicion was correct that this song was aimed at kids. Because it, it sounds like that. Zappa has said that uh, on the original liner notes that the song is aimed at 12-year-olds. The lyrics tell of someone so infatuated with a girl he's willing to overlook her lack of hygiene. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And the song features doo-wop backing vocals and some mean xylophone. And that's all from Frank. You can't be baby, you're so I don't even care if you shave your legs. Wowie Zowie. Yep. Oh, I, as a kid, and I, and I was even younger. And that one, <laughs> I always wondered why that just wasn't a big hit single. And again, the Pachuco spoken word. Uh, I, I, I guess Ray Collins brought that to the table. Did he? Did he? Was that him? Well, Zappo was an Italian guy. Of course. I mean, he may have been exposed to that playing in bands, but there wasn't too much of it after Collins left the band and other types of personalities were examined but mm-hmm. that album has that yeah they're just reprimering the right front fender a little <laughs> later on yes exactly no <laughs> probably based on one character that they knew personally and just he was so great they interjected him all over all, this album. all over yeah 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 absolutely um it looks like there were no records of this being performed at any of the early Mothers of Invention shows, which is kind of sad because it's it's that would be a, a performance. Yeah, the few live shows, it's it's amazing how much is many of the songs were just never done live. No, that was it. Although they, they would, some of them would be tricky to do live too, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I would I would think something like this because this is still pre PA systems, if I'm not mistaken. Sixty six. Yeah, sure was, and uh, there is a there's a honker home video mm-hmm. of, um, and I think it might be does humor belong in music? Might be that where Frank actually takes you into the vault and shows you some of the old equipment that they used to use. And she points to the PA head that they <laughs> used, probably at the Garrick, I'm going to think, uh, back in those days. So it's been around like here. 68. Yeah. yeah. Still a couple of years after this. Yeah. And everybody 
plugged into this thing. So it was, oh God. It's oh yeah, I've tried that. I, some of my early bands and recordings that we had a trainer. A trainer, it, yes, of course, absolutely. And, and when you kicked it, it did, it had reverb. reverb built <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. But that was just a mother to, to. If you put more than two things in it, you were adjusting the volume on your guitar endlessly, and everybody was turning up all the time. So yeah, <laughs> and everything just sounded like this. It was just this yeah. ball of noise. Yeah, it's uh, it's. <laughs> and forget clarity of vocals. Oh no, given, given. You didn't try to call me Why didn't you try, didn't you try, didn't you know I was lonely You didn't try to call me, track eight. Uh, this one, this one had a lot of mileage, uh, even in the yeah. later shows, uh, even as early as 87, 88, they were, they were doing this. There apparently is a relative, and I've never heard this thing. But there apparently is a pretty good bootleg out there called Tis the Season to be Jelly, huh. which I don't know if it was a board tape or not. It's a bootleg for sure. Right. I thought it was a, one of his authorized bootlegs. It, it, it was later authorized because yeah. they acquired all these things. I think I've heard it. My uh, bandmates have a huge Zappa collection. I think it, it's on because this track apparently, mm -hmm. uh, apparently w was... Um, it had <laughs> transformed from this mm -hmm. uh, to a fast-paced waltz, apparently, in 1967. So, uh, <laughs> so it's just how he just completely, you know, changes these things as it as it needed to be, I guess, at certain times. I remember... Yeah, depending on the players. Yes, absolutely. And I, you could also tell, sometimes it seemed like, uh, in all the times that I'd seen him, when he pulled out some of these older tracks... Um, He'd up tempo them. He would oh, yeah. he'd never he'd never play them at the original tempo. He'd always up tempo them. Sometimes he'd fly through them. It was just like wow. Oh yeah, no, the ones he did on Tinseltown are like oh, yeah, hundred miles an hour. But he the, the, he lost his taste for ballads in live performances. Mm -hmm. I think pretty early on. Yeah. Except for things like Village of the Sun, and even that's not that slow. No, no, and that is something that's kind of been an evergreen. They've they have continued to do that. Well, it's just got such a beautiful melody. It is, and and, and there's a lot of there's a sentimentality to it. Yeah, there it is. seems really genuine as opposed to his jokey. Yeah. Anyway, the wind blows is a fine wind of me. Um, track nine is Any Way the Wind Blows. Ah, my band did that perennially. In fact, uh, I was amazed how many people recognized it was a Frank Zappa song. Wow, really? When we played out in Santa Fe and cafes and stuff, there would always be several people who would walk up and say, I haven't heard that Zappa song in years. And that was just... Wow. And it's really easy to play, if I can play it and sing it at the same time. It's one of the few Zappa songs I can really do that with. <laughs> yeah, these, this, there aren't many. I'm going to tell you that right now. But he says uh, uh, he wrote it 
<clears throat> this was what year did he say this? I don't. He, he says he wrote this song about three years ago. So whenever this was quoted, when I was considering divorce, if I had never gotten divorced, this piece of trivial nonsense would never have been recorded. It's included in this collection because, in a nutshell, kids, it is how shall I say it, intellectually and emotionally accessible for you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he's right. It is, yeah. you know. Um, it's not a form yeah. that he would abandon, though. I mean, he would do this from time to time. He, he You know, back in the, well, not back, but uh, in his future, in the 80s, he'd, 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 he'd adopt a certain reggae vamp that he would do a lot of stuff around. It, or even yep. take older do, films. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He'd drop into that between stuff and, yeah. Got no place to go I'm tired of walking up and down the street all by myself No love left for me to give I try and try but no one wants me the way I am I'm not satisfied. Oh man, as a as a angsty teen, yeah. this with that one just it's fast too. And uh, and it's a and it's a heartbreaker. Yeah, it is. And this is a good example of one that got repurposed for Ruben and the Jets. They took this right. basically and you know, doo-wop balladized it. Mm-hmm. Um it says that the song was never a favorite among fans, but uh which fans? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and who did you ask? But uh <laughs> <laughs> the groupies. He was asking the groupies. Apparently, they like because <laughs> they performed this a lot. And um, as a matter of fact, they said, and this was complete news to me because I know very little about this band at all, but British post-punk cult band The Fall recorded a Back to, Basic, uh, Back to Basics cover of it on their CD, Cerebral Caustic. Did you know this? I didn't, but I, every time I try to get into The Fall, mm-hmm. I... The guy may have been a genius, but like a lot of so- you have to really dig. <laughs> I, I've never been able to really appreciate the fall, that, yeah. but they've done a lot of interesting and interesting covers, especially. Yeah, well, that was an interesting choice. Side two ends with uh, you're probably wondering why I'm here. You're probably wondering why I'm here. And so am I. So am I. And that one, I mean, I, I can't imagine them actually playing live, but no. it was intended, written probably thinking, oh, we're going to play this somewhere. And but yeah, didn't happen that way. It's basically an insult to your mainstream <laughs> audience trying to figure out what the hell is going on here. It's a lot of that going on on this record. But this one is the one that even today, it's still packs a wallop even uh even in its original version here's trouble every day well i'm about to get sick watching my tv checking out the news i tell my eyeballs fail to see i mean to say that every day is just another rotten mess and when it's gonna change my friend is anybody's guess so i'm watching and i'm waiting hoping for the best 
even think I'll go to praying Every time I hear them saying That there's no way to delay That trouble coming every day No way to delay That trouble coming every day Oh, yeah. And it still stands up. It does. I mean, the attack on the media. Yeah, some things never change. Um, oh, no, there's still trouble coming every day. <laughs> yeah, there still is. And Tom Wilson thought this was a representative sample of the Mothers, a nice white blues band. So that's why he signed them. And, you know, if that's all you'd heard at that bar that night, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah, no, though, what a great song. He's off in the phone booth while they're playing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love. I love that. That got the whole thing started. So so good. <laughs> um, now this next one is the first time that we're going to see an example of a sweet form, certainly used on this record. He's going to do this a lot in his uh, career. But help, I'm a rock. Um, oh yeah. Was one of these inventions that they just created. They just started rolling tape, much to Tom Wilson's chagrin, and just built this thing out of nothing. And um, he, that, that beatnik feel, I guess, is what the what it grows out of. I mean, it's like definitely the bridge between beatniks and hippies. Yes, definitely. Happening. Yeah. That, right. <laughs> Which apparently this whole thing, at some point, got labeled It Can't Happen Here in subsequent releases, the whole thing. But it wasn't, well, it's a much more recognizable title. Right. Now, they, they mentioned here, and I thought this was interesting, that in uh, 1967, a, uh, a psychedelic rock group, the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band. I've heard of them and probably heard a few of their things, but... Well, they recorded the song on their second album. Oh, I was totally unaware. Didn't know that either. Uh, which uh, completely flung them into funkier and freakier pastures, as they say. Apparently, they, they really did try to uh, emulate the style on Freak Out when they, were, when they were doing it. So, you know, hey, more power to them. <laughs> well, they were actually playing to people who were either pretending to be tripping yes. or actually were tripping yeah i don't think too many of the early mother's gigs had that i mean it, had rocky erickson even left texas yet at no. that point no 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 not at all <laughs> not at all and you know one of the other things i i, I admire about because uh, you know frank of course paced all this stuff out when when they were putting it together this is obviously his cut and this is his envision of the thing you'll notice by the lengths of the sides of these various records that uh he was taking into account a phenomenon which he actually went into in, in rather great detail in the, the Real Frank Zappa book about what happens to the sonic landscape of a piece of music on vinyl as it gets closer to the center. And so he was very conscious of what kind of content he wanted to put as towards the end of the record because your dynamic range, your frequency response and all that stuff was basically going to go down the big black hole by the time you got there. So putting percussive things, vocal things that were, you know, sort of in a tight bandwidth, stuff like that, really smart, really smart. Yeah. Plus, he kept those side links short. This, this side ends with, the, with this track. Uh, it's only 14 minutes and 40 seconds on side three. Aha. Uh -huh. I remember reading that when I read the Zappa book years ago, but yeah. I'd forgotten all about that. 
Yeah, even Todd Rundgren, when he did, he, he was cramming so much stuff onto a record and he would also program it. So the stuff at the end was, and the good stuff was at the beginning yeah. of the sides. It's just smart. It makes sense. Um, I mean, there's some very talented mastering folks out there, but it's the law of physics you're fighting here. Susie? Yes. Susie Cream Cheese? Yes. This is the voice of your conscience, baby. Uh, I just want to check one thing out with you. You don't mind, do you? What? Susie Cream Cheese, honey, what's got into you? So this thing on side four was a a bit of a consternation point. I think you know where I'm going here. It's the return of the son of Monster Magnet. This has been a, a was a, a bugaboo in Frank's craw forever because it wasn't finished. They ran out of money and they weren't going to pay him the extra whatever, 500 bucks it would take to... Uh, to, get, to keep the percussion... It was only a rhythm track. That's all they had. They hadn't built anything up, up around it. So what we end up with here is a rather sophisticated scratch track. And uh, it's fascinating to listen to. And the fact that they didn't finish that, you're familiar with the double album they came out with all the outtakes. Yep. Studio stuff. Yes. On that. And they really worked those other songs, some of them heavily. And then when it, I guess it was just a matter of timing that they didn't get to really do much with side four. That's it. That's really, the, that's the unfortunate. They ran, they had shot the wad by this time because, you know, there was a lot of experimentation going on in this. And uh, Oh yeah, mixing. I mean, it's just the, the number of instruments and layers involved in this. What, he, he had that homemade three-track recorder or <laughs> something. And he was five using track. five track. That's right. Now you you get that. We, I think we talked about this last time. There's no way to play any of this stuff except on that box because it 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 it's impossible. But so a lot of his early experience, you know, at the studio. Well, C, AI might be able to pick it out now. Now maybe. Now maybe. Uh, That's a we'll, good. We'll see in the next few years because <laughs> if it's possible, Dweezil will do it. <laughs> Okay, and this is on this track. This is what I was, what I was. Uh, so it's on. It is on this album. I thought it was on this album. I just didn't remember. There's a couple of appearances on. But uh, Doctor John is actually on this last track. Oh wow! He's on piano. This was what the, the Grigri era when he was really yes, yes. way out there. And what's funny to me is that the Grigri album was created very much the same way this was. Uh, Mac, apparently, uh, Rebenak, got got some free studio time because of something he had played on for somebody. And in lieu of payment, they said, well... Yeah, he was a session guy, right. Yeah, he was a great session guy. Oh, what a piano player, oh, yeah. Oh, man. So they said, okay, here's your... You can have the studio from, you know, nine to whatever. And so Grigri was born between, you know, nine at night and eight o'clock the next morning or whenever they opened it up. So they were doing Van Dyke Parks is also on this session. <laughs> but it but they say it's unclear what he played, if anything, but he's definitely on there. 
He's there somewhere. Yeah. So, wow. Can you imagine that room? Yeah. Uh, just the, the idea of Van Dyke Parks and Matt Remenak <laughs> in the same room at the same time kind Jeez. of boggles the imagination. A, it really, it really does. And that was about the time, not quite, but just before Van Dyke Parks hooked up with Brian Wilson and wrote the original lyrics for Good Vibrations. Right. And a few of the Smile songs were collaborations then. Mm -hmm. So I guess he was just writing that. He was on the periphery of all that. Yeah, yeah. And writing the experimentation, because good God, that was certainly going on. You know, that was uh, uh, the uh, this album, it took a while for it to crack through the music industry's uh, Byzantine honor system there and uh the grammy hall of fame f finally did award this album in 1991 a uh, hall of fame award <laughs> uh -huh. uh, uh, yeah i said when bonnie Raitt swept the grammys i swore <laughs> i would never pay attention to the grammys again yeah as long as i lived that that was just i don't know who how that occurred even in the worst year of, yeah, okay, Stevie Wonder was brilliant. Yeah. He was winning every year. And then all of a sudden it was like the Bonnie Raitt year. And it was like, that was like the chariot of uh, fire winning the Oscar. Right. Killing me ever paying attention to the Oscars again. <laughs> yes, there are those turning points, friends. Rolling Stones, it made its list of 500 greatest albums of all time. And, uh, and, and well, it should be there. Oh, I mean, heavens, yes. Uh, you know, I, I don't know where. Oh, it's number two forty-three. Well, at least it made the upper, you know, three hundred. Uh, probably should be higher on the list, given what it represents to most of the people who coming after and the influence it had. Yeah, exactly. You know, and of course, and most importantly, the release that came out of the the ZPT uh, of this album. It was celebrating its fifty-year anniversary. But that would be 2016. Yeah, that makes sense. So, it, yeah, that's right. And it's a huge thing because they combined this, and I believe they combined what we're about to talk about next in a, in a uh, multiple disc set with a bunch of outtakes of stuff that never got on the vinyl, of course, and, uh, you know, all sorts of fun, fun work in the piano. Oh, yeah, that, that whole in the piano thing. That's just, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, wow. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, that, that's going to be featured prominently on the on the next album we get to get to after this one. But uh, Absolutely Free follows. And um, I have to say, we were talking about this before we, we pushed the red button here, that it, it, for me personally, I have to say, I I'm really enjoying revisiting these older albums because... The influence for me was eh, probably Hot Rats is probably where I really took hold. But I got them all because of that. But I never really got into them uh, until I revisited Lumpy Gravy. I guess that must have been in the 90s. And then I just started going back because it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This, they really are, you know, I was, I was kind of put off by their the unfortunate limitations of recording back in those days and and some of those things until the new you know the new re, the, yeah, the new they masters cleaned them now, up. some of those were kind of kind of tough around the edges but um 
Well, I had the crappiest phonographs back then anyway. So for me, it was just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that it was, yeah, it really was. It really was true. But, but listening to them now, and uh, it was a delight to hear this, this album again. I had forgotten. You know, it's, 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 I, unfortunately, by the time I was buying my own Zappa albums, that was the hardest early one to get. Yeah, Nobody absolutely. had absolutely free. Most of the tracks I heard first on the Mother Mania mm-hmm. compilation, right? Which uh, that was hard to get. I, I, God only knows. Back then, you know, I paid like thirty, forty bucks, which for me for an album when yeah. they were like four or five bucks was. But I had to have that. Yeah, and yeah, that. What again? So much innovation. And so far ahead of its, and so Zappa. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah, no kidding. Crossing lines and taboos everywhere. Everywhere. And, and more as we go on. This, this album, you know, where, where um, Freak Out has very tight edits, you know, but, but not quite as uh, forcibly seamless as Absolutely Free. This thing really could play. There's a couple of times where it breaks, but there's this album could play as one continuous piece of music if you just did it because if you look at where he's editing uh from track Mm. to track here it's on the beat so you're you're not getting that two three second band of pad between uh uh from tracks to tracks here and again he's he's um he's got an emphasis here on on um interconnected movements of uh of um music uh, it's like a. It is. It's kind of like a, a, a. The whole album is kind of like a mini suite, um, uh, maybe even a maybe even a musical. Yeah, not. It's it, it. A lot of his albums almost seem like they were supposed to be the soundtrack to a movie in your head. Absolutely. Or his head. Or at least his head. Yeah. Something <laughs> that'd be a fun place to play for an hour. Frank says this, and. I, I think it's an, it's an interesting quote. He says, when it came time for us to do our second album, Absolutely Free, MGM proclaimed we couldn't spend, <laughs> we couldn't spend more than $11,000 on it. The recording schedules were ridiculous, making it impossible to perfect anything on the album. It was typical of the kind of bullshit we had to put up with until I got my own studio. I mean... They learn from freak out because God knows what they, I don't know what the dollar amount was on that. I have no idea. It was well beyond what they expected to spend on it, uh, for sure. Oh, yeah. No, they were used to like, what, it's like the first few Beatle albums. Yeah, you go in there for the afternoon, lads, and record your songs and, <laughs> and get the hell out and let us put uh, Tony Bennett and the orchestra back in there. Because they can do it in one take, bing, bang, boom. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Everything's already packaged, written, arranged. Yeah. Yeah, it's already. And I'm not sure how many of the original, some of them read music and were musicians. Some of them, yeah. But it's not all of them. Apparent, yeah, that a bunch of them were like me. You know, you hear it, you kind of cipher it out. Frank tells you, no, don't do that. I think, uh, who was the. Uh keyboard guy back in those days he did and certainly ian did yeah ian played um, everything and read everything he was just roy estrada didn't <laughs> i know that no. uh that's, and i don't the, think jimmy carl black no i don't think he did either uh most of the horn cats did of course but uh, yeah the horn players had, had some chops there 
So Plastic People is track one. On oh, Absolute. baby. <laughs> oh, you're such a drag. Oh, man. This is so, and I mean, this Louie Louie theme would revisit, we'd be revisiting this in multiple incarnations. What a great piece of work. And it swings. Yes, it does. It really does. Um, <laughs> is this the one that had the, yes, it is. This is the one that has the, the mock introduction of the president of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> Heard here. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Fellow Americans. He's been sick. And I think his wife is going to bring him some chicken soup. He's been sick. <laughs> That's right. He's been sick. Not at all well. Oh, my God. Yeah. Plastic people. Oh, what Zappa would do it today. Is, I, I think he would have a stroke. Yes, I know. I, I, if we resurrected yeah. him and said, here, record some songs, he'd get so excited, his head would explode. Because, <laughs> you know, the content these days, there's so much to draw from. Oh, I'm still shocked that for what he did over the years, that, that they're, he's just too brilliant to be canceled, I guess. I know. I, I, too big too big and you know it really is true he has some he has some stuff that uh would raise the eyebrows <laughs> oh i watched the you are what you is video not oh, too long there you ago go. brilliant and yeah that's mm -hmm. there's also some some lyrics in there that would get you in trouble now oh yeah well, uh, a lot <laughs> <laughs> but uh he, he you know he was he was an artist he so he carried on he carried on uh the second track here on the album is one of my favorite melodies uh forever and that's the duke of prunes oh yeah it's almost a, a classical it is. melody it's a, the duke of prunes uh and apparently i didn't know this uh it, it is actually a uh, the love theme that he wrote for his uh a film score of run home slow now i've never seen this movie so I have only I'm, heard of it. Yeah. Right. So I, 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 this was news to me, but that's very interesting because it really is a timeless piece of work uh, in any form. And it's been, you know, it's been cannibalized so many times and dropped into other compositions multiple times that uh, you get to hear it in all its uh, grandness. And, and the little Duke of Earl reference. <laughs> yes. And the Duchess. <laughs> The Duchess, the Duchess who comes up in the next, I think it's the next piece or it's the one after there. The Duke, yeah, it's the one after. But the one that follows is Amnesia Vivace, which is a great title. That's a just yep. a terrific title. Big, big uh, tip of the hat to Stravinsky here because he's got a lot of Stravinsky quotes layered within this, this piece. Um, I think this is kind of a, well, it's only a minute long, but it's, again, it's only a minute long. And again, you wouldn't know that seam unless you mm. looked at it, because it's, it, it jumps from... It's a, yeah, it's part of the... Yeah. And then it jumps back into basically a continuation of... The Duke regains his chops, which is, uh, again, only a minute 45 long. But uh, this was to complete that Duke of Prunes uh, 
Sweet. It says now uh, uh, that Ray Collins sings the, the verses from the Duke of Prunes and then Frank references the Supremes number one hit in 1964, Baby Love. So <laughs> there must have been a quote in there somewhere, <laughs> a musical quote in there. Um, and then a bit, oh, like, baby, baby. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so the, now I don't know. Did you ever read the libretto to this album? There's a, li- there's a libretto. There's a libretto. And, uh, Frank says that the plot of this song is following a beat down of some cheerleaders. The Duke returns to his duchess of prunes and begins to remember he pledges his prune is hers and that he loves her Um, yeah (laughs) oh chavy schlam yes 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 oh my god yeah that big romantic ending yeah (laughs) that's right operatic virtually operatic and then uh, this was the, I think this was the first, I know it was, this was the first track I heard on the radio when it came out that made my ears stand up. What the hell is going on? Call Any Vegetable. Call Any Vegetable, call it call it by name. Call Any Vegetable, call Some people don't go for prunes. I don't know. I've always found that if they... Oh, yeah, that signature riff. What is that? That's an oboe or something? It's a double read of some sort. And uh, apparently uh, this thing, you know, has has gotten legs. They've, they've done this many, 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 many times, including with the big 88 band. Yeah, but never as good as... This first one? Yeah, that that knocked my socks off when I first heard it. And it still, it still has it. There's that middle... The vegetable will respond to you. <laughs> yes, it will. They're so good for you, too. I wonder if the Beach Boys song about vegetables might have been... Yeah, thank? Uh, quite possibly. Van Dyke Park spilled the beans to Brian. No pun intended. But yeah. um, <laughs> number six, uh, great title again, Invocation and Ritual Dance of the Young Pumpkin. Instrumental. Yep. This was... Uh, i trying to remember who played... Was this Bunk? I would guess Bunk Gardner's in there at this point. Yeah, he's he because there's a sax solo just a wee early for Ian, so or maybe not. Um, oh wait, let's see now because I've got uh, Don Preston is on it playing bass and keyboards at this point. Okay, uh, who are the horn players? Jim Sherwood is okay. Woodwinds. Woodwinds. Okay. Yeah, there's there's nobody really given credit for reads here on this stuff this is what uh what's all music yeah herb Cohn does some background vocals with lisa that would be horribly painful um (laughs) (laughs) let me see here i'm i've got a personnel oh yeah bunk gardener woodwinds yep but okay but jim but jim felder had an uncredited piano and guitar part which is fascinating Ah. i didn't know that 
So yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. Kind of had his tone, but I wasn't sure. And then soft cell conclusion, which uh, kind of wraps up this whole... Sweet. Yes. But apparently it had a... a now, I'm not familiar with this Stravinsky piece, so I, it didn't jump out to me, but I have been informed that uh, Stravinsky's uh, March Royale from The Soldier's Tale is quoted at the very beginning. Huh. I was unaware also. My classical knowledge is extraordinarily limited. I just recently got into Bartok. Oh, That's okay. just blowing my... <laughs> yeah. But me also, until Hot Rats, I would like skip over a lot of the instrumental stuff. I was a kid sure. and like, I just wanted the exciting, funny parts. That's right. Exactly. So why don't you play the comedy music, Frank? <laughs> you I know, was one of those guys. <laughs> the younger, funnier stuff. And then this. One of my favorites forever. America drinks. Oh God, this is so good. Um, one of the things that I noticed that happens in here that I hadn't heard prior, but you will hear this technique used certainly on uh, the Dangerous Kitchen from Man from Utopia, which we'll get to. We may be a '97, but we'll get there. Uh, there is a there's a wonderful following of the vocal line that. Uh, um, ba the bass is following it. Uh, Estrada is actually note for note on the vocal on this thing. And it is just amazing uh, to listen to that because that's not your normal, you know, not your yep. normal No, bass that line. is a normal bass line, yeah. The bass is like playing a very basic, you know, Bill Wyman spinal piece. Yeah. Um, so apparently this was, you know, Zappa's... Uh, tip of the hat to all those horrible lounges that he had to play in in his yeah, early it's like days. A, a sequel to you're probably wondering why i'm here from the first <laughs> album exactly in yeah in case you didn't know and the stones did that song on satanic majesty's request that has this on with the show oh right 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 same sort of feel and may even have been in well that it almost it done at the same time, so maybe not an influence, but that same feel. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, there were a couple of other references. Uh, yes, the Rolling Stones, which you were talking about. Uh, My Friend by Jimi Hendrix also used this technique. You know my name. Look up my number by The Beatles. Oh, man, that that was... a. A favorite because it was the flip side of the Let It Be single, yes. which was on every jukebox in the world. Yes. So I would just purposely play the flip side and <laughs> drive everybody cause a out of the restaurant. At the bowling alley or the diner. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So here's, here's something that's interesting. Okay. I, I labeled this 8A because it didn't really happen in the original album. It happened on the single that they released from this album. They mm -hmm. had two tracks, um, Why Don't You Treat Me Right, mm -hmm. and this, Big Leg Emma. Now, these were not part of the album. They did not appear on the original release. Right. They were released separately, but uh, both of them 
are just dynamite tracks. Oh They're yeah, just Big Lake solid. Emma is just going back to that. Another one in a blues progression. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, and, and kind of the same deal with Why Don't You Treat Me Right. Yep. Has a very bluesy feel. And interesting choice because if somebody was to buy the album thinking that it was going to be like that, <laughs> yeah, they would have been, woohoo, that would have been, uh, been a problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something's wrong with this record. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's all this noise I'm hearing? Um, so the real track that, that follows in sequence there is uh, Status Back Baby, which is great. That's another high school-oriented thing. I'm surprised, because I don't even think this saying was, was happening until maybe the 70s, but my hair is looking good in the back. Oh, uh, yeah, that, <laughs> that David Cassidy look. Well, that was even later, but yeah. Yeah, that, it's, it's later. That didn't, it didn't make it into this because nobody had invented it yet. But uh, it's just great. It's another one of those tracks that's uh, clearly aimed at the teenage experience. And a really obscure that this and the next one are really probably the obscurest tracks on this album for one reason or another. It's just in an odd spot on the record or something. Yeah, this uh, Uncle Bernie's Farm uh, was supposed to be titled San Santa Claus Back to the Rescue Mission. (laughs) Apparently, (laughs) apparently uh, MGM didn't like that too much. Zappa says that it's a song about ugly toys and the people who makes them. Implied here is the possibility that people who buy the ugly toys might be as ugly as the toys themselves. <laughs> yeah, he, he had a way of putting things. <laughs> he did. Who's going to argue with that? I'm not going to argue with that. Um, and then, of course, uh, track 11, The Sun of Susie Cream Cheese. What's got into you? That's right. It was originally going to be called that, by the way. What's got into you? And that powerful bass on the chorus. It's just a... Uh, and again, it's it's a little, a little inside baseball. Nobody was talking about groupies during this time, certainly. And uh, and he said that it's it's a, <laughs> a stirring saga of a young groupie. Her actions are all motivated by a desire to be, quote, in at all times. Hence the drug abuse, blowing her mind on too much Kool-Aid, stealing her boyfriend's stash, and leaving Los Angeles for a protest march in Berkeley. <laughs> All in one minute and 33 seconds. Now, Absolutely. this is songwriting and production. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Not a it's wasted note. Ever. Nope. You'll never see that. Um, and, uh, oh, man, this one is. Oh, that, this, yeah, this is the suite of all sweets on his it, early albums. Oh, man. And just that it's touching on this whole incest, pedophilia uh, Congressman, uh, yeah, president. That, that, that it was ever released, much less in 1967. I know. Brown shoes don't make it. Brown shoes don't make it. 
And apparently the the title was inspired by uh, an event that um, happened to Lyndon Baines Johnson, who made a fashion faux pas of uh, wearing brown shoes with a gray suit. So that was apparently not good, can't do that. And uh, so brown shoes don't make it. But it is really, really deep in. All the imagery and everything at tv dinners and oh my god it's yeah yeah and i mean yeah it is a snapshot also of the of the of the time but it's also that's why they continue to do they continue to to uh, do this track uh for years to come you could replace your president yeah <laughs> or your, your your political figure um yeah just plug it in and it goes yeah absolutely uh very insightful stuff very uh, unfortunate uh, material from time to time there, but uh, yeah, well, the, the, he revisited stuff like that with Magdalena not much after that, right? It's one of his themes, apparently, that he yes, to shock us with. <laughs> yeah, he got a lot more visceral as time went on, and then America drinks and goes home is, yep. is sort of the fitting conclusion to this thing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the uh, again, it's you know, I often thought too, after listening to these things, that uh, one of the people who was clearly inspired, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sorry they never had a chance to work together, was uh, Tom Waits, whose uh, Nighthawks at the Diner basically oh, yeah. creates this thing for real. Yeah, that was the first Tom Waits that I heard he did an Austin City Limits of that album. Mm-hmm. on like public tv back in the day and i like had to run out and get that album yes. and it's brilliant another brilliant piece of work but uh uh very much you know uh inspired maybe by uh by that same uh, scenario um uh, yep the crowds and the the effects and all that stuff is great but in in tom's case at least it was real people <laughs> he filled the studio with an actual audience and they were whooping it up yeah, that's right. That album was recorded. He invited a bunch of friends into the studio. That's right. Right. Yeah. So it's a very different feel. I was reminded that the idea of quoting musical phrases um, wasn't as popular in rock and roll. Certainly popular in jazz, where you get right. you know, people like Horace. Well, that John Lennon got to, went to hell for just doing the line "Here come on flat top." Oh, that's right. Phil Spector really screwed him over like a hundred times over that, and I think today it wouldn't—it would stand up as fair use. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, definitely would. Even in our litigious times that we live in. Um, but yeah, he would quote himself uh, many times. He would quote Stravinsky, Stravinsky, and Varese, and all these people over and over and over and over again. Um, and I think in some cases it was kind of cool because if you were if you really paid attention, it might inspire you to do the same thing he did, which was 
why don't I, I should check that out, see what that's actually like, you know? Right. People like Harry Parch, which I don't know that he, there's a big list of influences on Freak Out. Right, that's, uh, I, I remember like trying to know who all, that was where I first heard of the name Sun Ra. Right, Was right. that list. And right. then I saw a record with Sun Ra and I had to buy it. And that started <laughs> a whole other phase of my musical life. <laughs> that's another That's another journey. Um, oh, yeah. Sonny Blount was quite a man in and of himself. Yes. Um, I and mean, he lived his music as much, if not more so, than Zappa. Uh, and if anyone had come from Saturn, it would be It him. was him, yeah. <laughs> He played at the Ann Arbor Blues Festival in 1970 wow. as the Sun Ra Orchestra, A-R-K-E-S. Right. And they all came out in costumes that looked like they were made on Saturn, I have to tell you. Uh, I've, I've never seen a more appropriate costuming, frankly. Uh, it looked like, yes, that's totally right. Uh, <laughs> it's absolutely totally Nudie right. Nudie suits of the future, yes. I mean, honestly, just brilliant. And, you know, from a guy who started, we're, we're kind of digressing here, but from a guy who started as a pretty straight ahead, kind of hard bop guy, to taking us to other places, that was pretty a pretty amazing transition. Yeah, he was a brilliant guy. That He had whatever was going on in his head, which... Is is up for theories. Yes, but, exactly. Uh, Sun Ra was just an amazing composer and musician. There are some great documentaries floating around about him. Yes. Give you a little insight into what he's all about too. Uh and yeah, he's definitely an influence here. You can you can definitely see it. And I would I would throw Harry Parch into this too. And I don't mm -hmm. remember if he's credited in there, but uh because there's that guy was obsessed with creating an entire musical structure that didn't exist harmonically. I mean, I mean, he's into the microtones, this guy. Yep. So all of his, his instrumentation and stuff like that are just, you know, they're all built for his specific use and a heck of a lot more tonal than you might imagine. You know, right. it doesn't, it's not as alien as, uh, as you might think it is. No, it's, it's listenable. It's not like it just, noise. like <laughs> some Ornette Coleman gets me. Right. right. At a certain point, I mean, the trio stuff's groovy, Don Cherry. And then there are a couple albums that I really, I felt challenged. So I said, I'm going to listen to this and I'm going to yes. get it. Right. No, <laughs> not yeah, yet. It's, it's tough. It's Maybe tough. next time. <laughs> there are some really tough. Um, I mean, I remember hearing, I don't remember what track it was, but it was something from the 70s where it literally sounded like, and I know he did it on purpose. <laughs> That there are two melodies going on, and they're exactly one half step apart. Oh, so they're they are playing sharp and flat against each other, and it's oh wow, no, okay, I see what that's creating. It's difficult listening, but I mean, I understand, you know, the the uh, yeah, it had the to math be done. of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I hope that what we're doing here, it, well, hell, it's fun for us. I don't care. But yeah. uh, I hope that it inspires a couple of people maybe to just to uh, to check these out. You, you know, it, it may not be for everybody, but there's a lot of work on here that I think will cross. Oh, no, it's very diggable. Most of it, yeah. it, it especially, 
I mean, it's much more approachable than it was in the day for sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that this, that the humor carries it in a lot of cases. Yeah, that's exactly right. And even if it, they're not talking, there's sometimes a humorous uh, musical approach that is, you know, that's yeah. kind of his trademark too. So um, there's a whimsy about it. There is. There is. If we're going to do these as twosies, which is probably smart, yeah, lumpy gravy comes up next. Oh yeah, that's going to be. That isn't even a very long album, but yeah, no. lumpy gravy. And uh, is it another band from L.A. or? Oh no no, we're, uh, we're only in it for the money. We're only in it for the money. Yep, we're only in it for the money. Yeah, those are those will be interesting. Oh yeah, but I remember finding. We're only in it for the money at a flea market. Oh, God. As eight years old or something. Somebody had obviously bought it and thought it was one because it was basically unplayed. (laughs) It's beautiful. Kind of love when that happens. And I kind of thought there would be like real genuine parodies of Sgt. Pepper on the record Mm because of the way the cover was set up. Yes. And... I remember driving home. It was a flea market in Woodstock, New York. Oh, how telling. Okay. About before the Woodstock Festival. Well, years. Yeah. And God, it was about an hour ride home just looking at the record cover, trying to guess what would be on here. Well, you'd already had the freakout experience, so... Yeah, know. I had a good idea that it was... But freakout was much more mainstream in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. musically, song structure-wise. Right. And in the penal colony and things like Whoa. that. Oh, Yeah, wait till we get to weasels. That's going to be uh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there are some moments. There are some standouts here that... Wow. Um, and a couple of these I haven't revisited, like I say, in years. So it's going to be it's going to be fun to get. To- yeah. No, I haven't heard Lumpy Gravy probably. It'll, it's going to be fun to listen to. That's again, that's basically two pieces of music. Right. Um, it's just con- a continuous assault. Um, but it's brilliant. It's really brilliant. The string parts in that, the, the orchestra, little throw together orchestra he put together. Great, but all his tools, every he's using everything. Looking forward to that one. Oh yeah, not uh, whenever you're up for it, I'll get myself prepared, and uh, we will assault your fellow appreciators with uh, <laughs> more Zappa history and uh, some good stuff for your ears, yeah, and brain. To just thanks so much for doing this with me. This is this is a blast. Oh, I when you find a kindred spirit, yeah, <laughs> it's really, it's really, uh, we we kind of owe it to the cosmos to at least attempt it. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I really appreciate doing this. Not vice versa, and uh, whoever has made it all the way through this with us, you too are appreciated. <laughs> Absolutely.